Welcome back to The Feeding Pod. In today's episode, Olivia and I discuss medications and how they impact feeding and swallowing. We're going to talk about some of the more common medications you may see in pediatrics and what the side effects are and how those may impact feeding and swallowing. We talk about why this is important, how us as clinicians can navigate these side effects in order to support progress. It's really important for us to be aware of what's going on, what medications a child is on and how this may impact so that we understand how to best support the child in targeting their skills. So let's get started. Welcome to The Feeding Pod. I'm Bree, your co-host. I am a speech-language pathologist and certified lactation counselor. I work with infants and medically complex patients with PFDs in the home and outpatient settings. I enjoy building relationships with families and I'm a firm believer in providing interdisciplinary care. I also love providing mentorship and support to upcoming and new clinicians on pediatric feeding disorders. You can find more about me on my Instagram at pediatricfeedingslp or on my website, pediatricslplibrary.com. And I'm Olivia, co-host, registered dietitian nutritionist, and certified lactation counselor. I work in a pediatric clinic where I get to divide my time between working as a CLC and an RDN for infants and children. I enjoy being able to help caregivers navigate through these difficult times that include the newborn phases all the way through the teenage years. I feel that my personal experience from having a newborn who's now a toddler and a child with special needs, including a feeding disorder, really come into play. We are here to bring you multidisciplinary, evidence-based information that is easily accessible about pediatric feeding and swallowing disorders. We understand firsthand the importance of collaboration and how difficult it can be to navigate the ever-changing information on assessment and treatment of pediatric feeding disorders. The Feeding Pod is here to provide research, support, and a dash of comic relief. Now, let's dive right in. Disclaimer, all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. This is intended to be educational in nature and does not replace the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment from a qualified healthcare provider. Welcome back to the feeding pod. This is Bree and I'm here with Olivia today and we're going to talk about medications. And so we're going to go through how medications impact feeding and swallowing. What are some of the more common medication categories um, such as anticholinergics, anticonvulsants, anti-anxiety, antihistamines, and CNS stimulants. And we're going to go through, of course, this isn't going to be all inclusive in terms of all the medications that can cause feeding and swallowing issues, but we're going to go over um, some of the main ones and what we look for and what we think about as an SLP and dietitian in terms of how that might impact what the child is doing. So Olivia, I'm going to pass it to you to kind of start us off with the anticholinergic medications. Okay, so anticholinergics, those are going to help block involuntary muscle movements associated with certain diseases. So a lot of times these basically work by blocking the acetylcholine from binding to its receptors on certain nerve cells. 
um, they're going to inhibit actions called parasympathetic nerve impulses. Um, so basically what we're looking at some issues that we see arise are more with the involuntary muscle movements. So like the gastrointestinal system, your lungs, urinary tract. So you might have an overactive bladder. Um, and then just other parts of your body can have those involuntary movements as well. So a lot of the times as a dietitian, okay, if we're looking at GI side effects, is it coming from the medication? Is it coming from foods that we're eating? Um, as far as lungs go, that can impact your swallowing, your feeding, because um, sometimes your breathing patterns are going to be different. As far as overactive bladder, I wouldn't say that's anything to do a whole lot with feeding and swallowing, but that's something to consider um, just with this medication. So from there, your nerve impulses help control functions, as we all know your nerves control basically everything in your body. If you think about it, so let's start with the mouth. So saliva, we have nerve impulses that help with that salivation process. Um, from there, you gotta think of your digestion. So are your muscles contracting as they should be as digestion is processing? Um, urination, once again, are we having overactive bladder? Are we having problems using the bathroom because everything's just becoming involuntary. Um, mucus secretions, those are going to be affected as well. So now with the whole, I'm going to move into the blocking acetylcholine signals. So this can decrease your involuntary muscle movement. So when we look at digestion, we're looking at maybe things are starting to slow down. Are we seeing more constipation? Are we seeing um, an increase in that mucus secretion, which then can also come out in your poop? So are we having mucusy poops? Um, common side effects that we're looking at are gonna be dry mouth, um, because once again, we said it, in, it affects the salivation, um, constipation, which I just mentioned, drowsiness and sedation. So this can affect how the kids are um, on a day-to-day -day basis. So if we're drowsy, if we're sedated, how awake are we to eat? How ready are we to feed? Um, and then of course, with the constipation, can we fit anymore in our GI tract right now? Um, we also don't think of the salivation process in the digestion, but that's going to be with feeding and swallowing along with digestion. So your saliva actually has enzymes that are going to help break down the food to start with in your mouth. Um, trouble urinating, not necessarily feeding and swallowing directly related, but just consider that as an issue. Um, okay, so some different disease states that we see this used in, of course, as we've mentioned earlier, overactive bladder. Um, also, some types of cerebral palsy, this will be a medication that's used um, for those kiddos. So now, basically, what we're going to do is give just like an outline of each of the drugs, and we'll kind of go into more in depth of how feeding and swallowing is impacted in what we each do. So I'm going to turn it over to Bree now to go into anticonvulsants. 
Okay, so anticonvulsants, these are medications that are used with children that have epilepsy or other seizure disorders. So for example, Lennox-Gestalt syndrome, um, or maybe they've had a traumatic brain injury or an incident that is causing ongoing seizures. So anticonvulsants are gonna be used for that. And what it is doing is it's treating the seizures. So of course the hopes is that it's managing the seizure activity. However, sometimes there are side effects that are going to influence what's going on with the child. So oftentimes with anticonvulsant medications, there's a lot of risk to benefit um, analysis that happens. Like what is, um, what is it that the medication is trying to achieve? And is there a different one we should take or um, that the child should be on that maybe isn't going to provide as severe side effects? So going into anticonvulsants, some of the more um, common ones you may have heard of are phenobarbital, um, clonazepam or clonopin. Um, oxcarbezepine, which is trileptol. I always hear it called trileptol. <laughs> um, easier to say. Yeah, 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 yeah. Clobazam, which is benzodiazepine. And all of these are using to help control seizures. So it working to um, depress the central nervous system to slow down what is happening. Because um, the overactive central nervous system is what is often causing these seizures. So some of the other... Um, anticonvulsant medications you may um, be aware of are, uh, I already said phenobarbital, um, Depakine or Depakote, which is valproic acid, um, phenytoin, which is dilatin, um, felbamate, lumetrigine, topramite, topr this is so bad. These words are hard. I think I would just skip this part. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm definitely going to yeah. edit that part. I'm like, yes, just overall, some of the more common ones, I'll do that part over again. Some of the more common ones you may have heard of are phenobarbital, clonopin, trileptol, benzodiazepine. Um, and of course, they're, they're going to have um, on-brand and off-brand names, but those are some of the more common names that you may have heard. So when we think about the side effects to these, as I mentioned, some of these can be pretty significant and it will also depend on the specific medication the child's on. But some of the overarching things we're going to be looking for are difficulty with swallowing, fever, shakiness, and unsteady walk, and just overall unsteadiness, trembling, and other problems with muscle control and coordination. So it's really easy to see how those more common side effects can impact feeding and swallowing. Some of the less common ones that are still important to note are changes in speech pattern, restlessness, slurred speech, trouble sitting still, and trouble speaking. So of course, if we're having some difficulties with muscle control and coordination, then we may see some of those going on. Um, but also the muscle control and coordination can also just be specific to the limbs, or um, you can also see it in the oral cavity. So those are some of the things to think about. In some other medications, what you might note is um, nausea. There might be pain or discomfort in the arms, jaw, back, or neck. Poor coordination, trouble breathing, vomiting, or weight gain issues. There can also be the opposite. There can be loss of appetite, which then in turn might cause weight loss issues. Um, diarrhea, dry mouth again. So we're thinking about 
um, salivation. And again, not only from a, can we form a cohesive bolus because we need our saliva to do that, but also starting the digestive process with those enzymes. And then numbness of the feet, hands, or around the mouth. Um, and so when we're thinking about these medications, while yes, it is really important for um, seizure management, we have to think about some of those side effects and how it might be impacting our, our patients. And so I think, um, you know, in these situations, and, you know, this goes across the board with all the medications, is to remember that it's okay to reach out to these prescribing providers and let them know what you're seeing. Because sometimes there are dosage changes or other other medications entirely that might also do the same thing of managing the seizure activity or managing whatever it is you're trying to without as debilitating of side effects. So those are the um, anticonvulsants. Now we're going to go into antipsychotics. All right. So I'm going to start off with some, or I'm going to continue on with antipsychotic medications at this point. So we don't have a whole lot of kids on antipsychotics. Um, first of all, I mean, the main reasons why we would see kids on these are going to be your severe behavioral issues. Um, so like some of your autistic kids might be on these. Um, as far as what they do and what they might affect, basically they're going to diminish the intensity of psychotic hallucinations. So a lot of times we think of these as being used in our institutionalized patients um, or schizophrenic patients, but for us in our outpatient world, like I said, we're looking more at those um, behavioral issues. And a lot of term, times we're going to see more of those low potency ones versus the high potency. So I don't think we're going to deal a whole lot with the side effects of these. Um, I think the most common ones, I actually have not worked with any kiddos on these. Um, knock on wood, I haven't had to. But I think Bree said the yeah. two that she sees used most often what were they? The clozapine and risperidol. Okay. Now, and I know I've worked with some adults on Haldol at times, and that just seems to have more of that sedating effect on them. But going through common side effects with these, you're looking at, of course, sedation. So with us, that's going to affect how ready are they for therapy sessions, or are they awake enough to really sit down and eat meals? Um, so that can, I guess, just affect in general everything with them. If it's more of a sedating med, you've got a kid who's normally bouncing off the walls and now they're just like a zombie sitting there. Um, it can cause some hypotension, which kind of goes along with that sedating effect. Um, Anticholinergenic effects. So we've already kind of went over those with the medication. So I'm not really going to go into that. You're looking at your constipation, urinary retention, dry mouth all of that, um, extra pyramidal symptoms. So there's four different ones that this can affect. You've got pseudoparkinsonism, pseudoparkinsonism. Uh, sorry, that's a mouthful there. So kind of like a reversible syndrome that includes, you know, your tremors in your hands, your arms, you can get the rigidness in your arms, shoulders, all of that. So think of kind of like, Parkinson's disease, um, but this is more of like a pseudo type version of it. 
Okay, I'm gonna probably murder a couple of these um, pronunciations on this stuff. Yeah, these are big, <laughs> big words. Like, <laughs> which is, I, I'm probably totally murdered that. Um, it, this is, I'm just like reading this one off because I have never dealt with this, but subjectively as a feeling of inner restlessness. So my thinking on that is maybe they're just going to be a little bit more restless than they typically are. Um, so they might just have an inability to remain still. So then you're looking at, okay, how long can these therapy sessions last? Are they going to be bouncing off the wall or not bouncing off the walls, but are they going to just be fidgety, restless, not able to maintain their attention span? Um, you're looking at also dystonic reactions. Um, so those can be spastic contractions of the muscles. So once again, that can affect feeding and swallowing because which muscles are we spontaneously contracting? We don't know. That can also affect GI, all of that stuff. Um, tardive dyskinesia, so involuntary movement disorder, once again, seems like involuntary movements seem to be an issue with a lot of these antipsychotics. Um, another very strange one that actually I just stumbled upon and I've never heard of this before with any medication is hyperprolactinemia. So coming from the lactation side of things, apparently anticonvulsants can tr um, trigger high prolactin levels. So fun fact on that one. Um, cardiac arrhythmias, that can be an issue with these anti-psychotics. Um, Seizures, you're looking at, from a nutrition standpoint, metabolic syndrome issues. Um, so you might see rapid weight gain, weight control just might be really hard. Um, a lot of metabolic syndrome issues I would say are just going to come out. It's probably underlying already and the antipsychotic would just bring out these um, metabolic issues. So you're looking at glycemic control issues. Um, patients with pre-existing diabetes, you might have a harder time controlling their blood sugars. Um, those are pretty much all of the side effects that we're looking at from these antipsychotic medications. Like I said, most of the kids that we're going to see are going to be on a low dose. So I would assume we're not going to see any of these side effects that are going to be terrible and awful. Um, we might see like a little bit of the sedating effect, maybe a little bit of the hypotension, maybe a little bit of the anticholinergic effects, um, and maybe some of that involuntary movement. But other than that, I don't think we're going to really see any of these other issues coming through. So I guess now we can go into our next medication, which would be some anti-anxiety medications, which I'm sure we have a ton of kids that are on these anti-anxiety medications. Yes. Um, I'm going to turn that over to Brie for that one. Anti-anxiety agents, I'm sure, as Olivia mentioned, we all know a child that is on one. Um, these are becoming more and more relevant to pediatric populations. Um, we're seeing definitely an increase in children. And specifically, you know, talking about like COVID and children being home more, and there's definitely been even more of an uptick in them. So it's really important for us to think about 
how these might influence a child and what are some of the side effects. So of course, these are always gonna vary based on the specific medication that the child is taking, but it's important to um, just be aware that there are symptoms that, that may coincide with feeding and swallowing um, difficulties. Of course, when we're thinking about the kids that are already on our caseload, they already have feeding and swallowing difficulties. However, this could exacerbate what we are seeing going on. So with um, anxiety medication, some of the side effects that we might see um, are drowsiness. Um, there can be some confusion or headaches. Um, for some people, it's really important um, to not just suddenly stop an anti-anxiety medication and be sure that um, if they are on a medication, they're following up closely with their doctor as sometimes there can be um, there can be worse side effects by doing suddenly stopping, such as having a seizure. Um, some of the other side effects that may um, coincide would be nausea, decreased appetite or increased appetite, um, mood impact. So it can just make someone um, more irritable or it can make them more like laid back and low and not really interested in anything dry mouth, muscle weakness, um, diarrhea, dizziness. Those are all things that we really need to think about. Um, nausea, again, and vomiting can actually happen. Constipation, so not just diarrhea, but also constipation. There, oh, something else that's really important to note with anti-anxiety medications is um, sometimes there can be certain foods or drinks or other medications that you have to avoid while on these medications. Um, so for example, certain, um, SSRIs. So that's an example of an anti-anxiety medication, like some pain relievers can potentially interact with the medication. So that's something to think about too. Um, of course that's not, something we're going to make recommendations on, but just to think about that there might be other side effects occurring if they are mixing. Overall, the biggest side effects, just as a, a review, are fatigue, dizziness, drowsiness, dry mouth, nausea, vomiting, weight loss, weight gain, trouble sleeping, um, and muscle weakness. Those are the biggest ones that we have to think about when we have someone that is on an anti-anxiety medication. So Olivia, I'm going to pass to you now to go on to antihistamines, which is another big one. <laughs> yeah. So I'm pretty sure almost every kid in South Carolina is on an antihistamine because this is literally, we live in one of the allergy capitals of the world, let's be honest. Um, so antihistamines, this can be just your simple everyday Zyrtec, Claritin, yada, yada over the counter. Um, but it can also include steroid shots. This can also include eye drops. Um, think of anything that's going to block that histamine response. Um, common side effects are just going to be drowsiness, um, which if you're going to have drowsiness, typically doctors recommend that you take that medication at night. Um, dry mouth can be a common side effect. Dizziness, nausea, vomiting, restlessness, or moodiness in some children, which it is crazy to see the different reactions that some kids have. Um, 
Sometimes we like to think of Benadryl a lot as, oh, it's going to knock my kid out. And some kids will have the complete opposite and it hypes them up. Um, so antihistamines, I, there's not a whole lot of side effects that we're dealing with, but just know that a kid might be restless. Um, they might be a little bit more moody. We might see that dry mouth. Um, nausea and vomiting, I have not come into contact with anyone that's had nausea and vomiting from their antihistamine. The only thing time I've seen the nausea is when it wasn't taken with food. Yeah. Um, I've seen that occur before. I've yeah. even had that. <laughs> I was going to say almost with any medication, yes. you really make sure you're taking certain ones with food. And there are certain ones that you can't take with food and mm-hmm. just take on an empty stomach. But antihistamines are pretty basic, pretty simple. Um, you're looking at maybe some increased drowsiness, like I said, nausea, vomiting, restlessness, moodiness. Um, so actually I'm going to probably move on to some other medications that we regularly deal with. And I'm going to kind of highlight one that actually my kiddo is on. And I've actually had to work with a few kids recently on this medication. Um, it's a CNS stimulant used for ADHD methylphenidate. Um, that's just the common name for it or the whatever the actual drug name. Um, I don't know why I can't remember the actual common name that's on my kid's bottle right now, but it's used for ADHD. Um, Daniel has ADHD along with autism and Down syndrome. So we've got a bunch of different things going on at once. It says some brand names would be Ritalin. I think that's probably one of the most common. Daytrana, Epitensia. Concerta is what Daniel is on. Concerta. Okay. Yep. That's on there too. (laughs) That's the specific one that I have been working with a few kiddos on. So one of the big side effects with Concerta seems to be loss of appetite. Knock on wood, Daniel does not have it. Daniel has hit his teenage years and we are just eating everything in sight. Um, But all the kids that I have worked with, which recently I've got three consults in the past like two weeks um, for kiddos, I guess, getting started back on this now that school's starting back in person. Um, and parents saw that issue when they were previously on it. So working with kiddos on the appetite, that seems to be a big, big thing with this one. Um, also you can just see some unusual changes in behavior with an increase in aggression, hostility and agitation and irritability. So this one, I can say Daniel does suffer from, but it's only whenever he's coming off of the medication. So if we break down the name, the name has meth in it, methylphenidate. Um, so basically it's, it works great. And then you think of how not to, I guess, go into full on detail, but let's say a drug addict, you think of how they are acting when they're coming off of their high. So essentially that's, what these kiddos are doing they're coming off of their high and Daniel's whenever he's coming off is a little bit of aggression a little bit of hostility we just know that okay for that hour Daniel needs to be left alone and he needs to work through his things and we don't need to bother him Um, otherwise we're just we're going to get shutting down Daniel and he's going to be hostile and he's going to be agitated um 
So thinking of that for Daniel and his therapy sessions, Tuesdays are whenever he has speech, OT and PT, all three in one right after school and his medication wears off right after school. So typically on Tuesdays, I'm either sending the medication for him to take a little bit later in the day, or honestly, we skip that medication on that day, which is probably not the best thing, but I want him to be present for all of his therapy sessions and in the mood and ready to work with them. Um, slow weight gain, slow growth. We do see a little bit of stomach growth with this. Um, weight loss, I'm not necessarily dealing with any weight loss in my kids. It's more of getting the kids to gain weight that I'm having issues with. Um, but hand in hand, if you've got a kid that's not going or not really going through growth spurts at this point in time, then you probably would see weight loss. But it seems I'm dealing more with the adolescence with this drug. Um, just keep track of your kid's weight, height, all of that fun stuff if you're taking this one. Yeah, because I've seen with um, CNS stimulants for ADHD, some kids that benefit from like an appetite stimulant to support that or having to like super structure mealtime routines because they often will not feel the hunger cycle or hunger cue yeah. like their cycles just off and it causes that decrease in appetite and for some kids it's to the point of they just wouldn't eat um if they weren't on that routine and schedule and um or additionally an appetite stimulant to help with it yep so a lot of times i'm looking at with these kids that are on these medications, either getting in a good meal right before they take that medication and just knowing that lunch is just totally going to be probably ignored and not, they're probably just not going to get any lunch in. Mm -hmm. um, and then dinner time, making sure that they've got a good dinner meal. And a lot of times it's incorporating in protein and calorie packed smoothies. That's worked with a few of my patients with, okay, if we're not going to be able to eat and we just don't have that appetite, let's make a smoothie and let's sip on that throughout for their lunch. And typically we're packing that full of like peanut butter and hate to say it a little bit of sugar, because honestly, sugar is an easy way to get calories in at that point. Um, so adding different things like syrups to the smoothies. So that can be like a date syrup. It can be just a regular honey, it can be regular good old sugar, whatever you can think about adding to get it in. Um, I mean, you can also stick a Band-Aid on and use some Pediasure in your younger kids if you just want a Band-Aid quick fix. Um, usually not my recommendation on that because you can get more calories in with a smoothie and you can get some more fiber and protein and real vitamins and minerals versus vitamins and minerals that were made in the lab. Thoughts mm -hmm. on that. No, for sure. And I think too, with some of those things where yes, you are trying to supplement and help them gain weight. Um, but it's, it's a compensatory strategy and it's not like you said, ultimately fixing the problem. And then sometimes in turn, it can be difficult to wean the kids off of those supplemental feeds. Yep. So for sure. So kind of moving into, you know, we've talked about all these medications and they're a mouthful and a lot, a lot of information. So you know, going into, it's important to know these things and for us to be aware because these side effects may impact the child's desire and ability to eat. So for thinking about desire in terms of like, 
sedation, drowsiness, restlessness, um, all of those things can just make them not have that desire. Their hunger cues are not going to be triggered in the same way. But then also in the ability to eat, some of these can impact swallowing, muscle coordination and control, um, decreased salivation or dry mouth. And so all of those things, we also additionally have to think about in terms of not just impacting whether they want to or not, but whether they can. Um, and so when we think about, I'll kind of have you go into the nutrition side first. So when you're navigating some of these side effects and you're thinking about like, okay, I have to take note of this medication, this child's on, what are some of the things that you are considering when you are then creating a plan of care? Okay. So typically I do go through and I'm going to look at side effects because that's going to trigger on, okay, what do I need to be treating here? What are we looking at? Um, Typically GI issues, that's the first thing I'm going to look for with any of these medications. And we know a lot of them are going to cause GI issues because some of them are going to slow down your GI tract. Some may speed up your GI tract, just depending on what your kid is taking. Um, so with diarrhea and constipation, I'm kind of looking at the same thing to start with. I look at the timing of the medication. Does the timing of the medication seem to affect anything? Does it seem to settle better if they take it at night versus if they take it in the morning, if it's one of those medications that's going to last all day. Now, if it's one that has to be taken in the morning and then it wears off at night, okay, I get it. We can't really change the timing of the medication too much. But then looking at meal times, does the medication do better if it's taken before a meal or does it do better if it's taken after the meal? or there's certain medications that actually do better if you eat half your meal, take the medication and then eat the other half of the meal. Then I'm also looking at, okay, if we can't resolve it by timing, then basically we're trying to figure out how to combat the symptoms. So if we're looking at constipation, does the child need to drink more fluids throughout the day? Um, do they need to take a pre or probiotic? Would that help? Different things are going to work for different kids um, and medications work different ways with different kids as well. Diarrhea, we're looking at, okay, we need to replace the fluids that we're losing. We also need to look at making sure that we're replacing those electrolytes. So do they need something more like a Gatorade or a Pedialyte to replace the fluid versus my constipated kids that I'm going to recommend just water? Um, fiber content of diet. Do we need to increase the fiber content in the diet or do we need to decrease it? Sometimes you're looking at we need to decrease the fiber content because we're just so constipated that things aren't moving and we need kind of a little bit of less fiber in the diet. So if we get too much fiber, not enough water, then we're just going to hinder and make constipation worse. Um, looking at different, I guess, pre and probiotics, there's pill forms, there's powder forms, there's natural forms like using kefir or yogurt. Um, sometimes adding that in can help with that diarrhea or constipation. Then if we go into nausea, once again, I'm going to look at timing of the medication. Are we taking the medication on an empty stomach? Is that what is triggering the nausea? Or is this just a medication that no matter what, it's going to cause nausea? If so, can we take that medication at night so we can sleep through the nausea? Um, dry mouth, that's going to be more of something that Bree's going to deal with than a nutrition issue. 
nutritionally, you're looking at, okay, less saliva. So our digestion, we're not going to break down those carbs starting off in the mouth, um, which can kind of cause tummy aches or issues in that realm of nutrition. But dry mouth is really going to affect more of feeding and swallowing. And when Bree's trying to treat during her sessions. Yeah. So yeah, that, I mean, all of those things, definitely. I think when we're taking from an SLP standpoint, our medical history and thinking about some of those medications. And if you have the child that is dealing with some of those like GI related things to also think about the fact that a dietitian could play a big role in helping to alleviate that. If the medication changes can't be made, what else can we do? Like you were mentioning with the fiber content, increasing fluids, all of that. So when we're thinking about, you know, from an SLP's role, and again, a lot of these overlap, a lot of these things like we're collaborating on, but um, in terms of taking turns talking <laughs> from the SLP side, when we think about dry mouth, something we might um, incorporate is um, alternating with sips of liquid, every couple bites of food, making sure they're taking a sip of liquid to help that help form the bolus, also help it go down. If you ever take a bite of something that's super dry and swallow it, it kind of hurts. It's uncomfortable um, to feel that going down. So thinking about how we might have to use some compensatory strategies while we're working on skill building, while we're working on whatever, what else is going on with the child because of these underlying side effects. Um, something else to think about is just more frequent hydration, offering um, water just more frequently throughout the day just to support that. Other things you might think about, um, you know, we have the child that maybe has loss of control or coordination with muscle. So what can we do to support their positioning better? How can we make sure that they're balanced and in um, the most supportive position they can be to focus on feeding and swallowing? If you have those children that are very restless, is there something else that we can incorporate into their seating arrangement to, to support them to stay at the table more, you know, whether that's a band or a fidget, just to keep them a little bit more attentive there. We can think about routine schedule that goes a little bit into like medication schedule, but then also what, what mealtime routine is going on. And so if you can establish a more routine schedule of mealtimes, you can start to control, okay, we know we eat breakfast, lunch, dinner, at the, around these times, we do snacks at these times, when would the medication best be offered to support this mealtime routine, to be able to support the child in hopefully reestablishing some of those hunger cues. Also thinking about just collaborating with the prescribing provider, you know, talk to them. What are some of the things you're noticing? Because they're prescribing this medication to treat something medical, but they're not necessarily seeing the whole picture all the time. And that's to no fault to them, but they just don't, they don't hear back. They're like, okay, try it for three months and then let us know. But if you notice something as the therapist or as the dietitian that you're like, hold on, this is immediate. This is happening. We're like, it's, we've taken three steps back. That's something to bring up to those providers and let them know, like, so that they can just determine like, okay, yeah, sorry, but we have to keep going. Or maybe there's a change in dosage. Maybe there's a change in the medication or the scheduling. I've had some kids where they're like, okay, they need three MLs of this go. And then we find out like, Hey, this isn't working because they're doing okay on the medication, but then it's wearing off too early. So okay, what if we do one and a half ML twice a day and it can more reg better regulate them. So like thinking about those things is important, but 
the prescribing provider is not going to know that if we don't advocate and reach out for our patients. So those are definitely some of the biggest things I would say in terms of from an SLP's role. Because again, neither of us are prescribing these medications, making recommendations on taking, not taking, changing dosage at all. What we're doing is saying, this is what we notice. What can we do to support the child either because they have to continue taking this medication or by advocating and reaching out to the prescribing provider to let her know what other, let he or she know what other areas are being impacted. Yeah. A lot of times we're just navigating through these side effects and then looking at is the risk worth the benefit sometimes, and then bringing that up to the provider of, Hey, well, we're having all of these other issues going on. I understand that we're trying to treat this, but is the risk worth the benefit at this point in time, or should we try just completely a different medication? Um, I know we've gone through a few different ADHD medications with Daniel and just knock on wood, Concerta seems to work well for him and we don't use the time release or anything like that. Um, Time release might be better on Tuesdays for us, but. But yeah, but those are things that you have to take into consideration because for some people schedule might work better for a time release and for other people it doesn't. So I think that's where just like keeping that open conversation to where if you are noticing that a child is on any medications and if you're familiar with it or not familiar with it, just do a quick search. Just, you know, look at what some of those side effects are that you may need to be aware of where maybe it's not that the child isn't interested in eating. It's just that their hunger cues are suppressed because of the medication they're on. Um, and sometimes I think we'll, you know, be kicking ourselves because we're like, what, nothing's giving. I don't understand what's going on. And then it's like, well, they're on a CNS stimulant and that influences appetite. Like, yep. I think we have to, you know, take that into consideration as well. And um, a book that I recommend um, if people are, um, interested in learning more, as well as just having a quick reference to medications and how they influence feeding and swallowing is there's a book called Drugs and Dysphagia. And it's by Carl Johnson and hold on, I'm picking up the book. <laughs> so a book that I recommend, it's called Drugs and Dysphagia and it's by Lynette Carl and Peter Johnson, Carl and Johnson. Um, and it talks about how medications can affect eating and swallowing. Um, and it's just a great quick book to reference. It talks about anti-convulsants, anti-psychotics, um, you know, other ones. And this is a great book, whether you're with pediatrics or adults, but um, I will often refer to this with my children that do have especially seizure disorders or um, significant behavioral implications. Um, and they're on an antipsychotic medication because those often influence what else could be going on. Because so. you're going to think it's changing their behavior. So if it's changing behavior, mm-hmm. what else is that doing? Exactly. Exactly. So, well, this was a fun episode, but full of a lot of big words. (laughs) So I, I hate having to pronounce them. I know. I always think that pharmacists are just like, oh, let's pair this, this, and this together. And wham, there you go. I know. But then they can produce them. Like they can pronounce them just easily. So I'm a little jealous of that, but well, I hope you all enjoyed this episode and, um, If you have any questions, you know where to find us. Thanks for tuning in on today's episode. 
We hope you'll continue to follow us along as well as reach out and follow us on Instagram at the feeding pod. If you enjoyed this podcast, we hope you'll take a second to leave a review. If you want to get Ash's CEUs for listening, plus more courses and resources, visit pediatricslplibrary.com. Wherever you are, whoever you are, we hope you have a great day.